We are all on a journey. The trouble is, sometimes we just don't actually know where we're going. We get turned around and off track like we're stumbling in the dark. What we all need is a light. We need a God to follow closely and to show us the way. Our light, our God, our teacher is Jesus. We need to follow him. Is Jesus walking around with us? How can he guide us? How can he show us the way? See, following Jesus doesn't have to be that complicated. Jesus can show us the way because Jesus is the way. Good morning, Journey. Good morning. Hey, I'm really happy today, not because I'm teaching, though I am, but because last night at 8 p.m., my wife got back in town after leaving me by myself Thursday at noon with two small children which is always a great experience. And uh, on top of that, not only was I by myself for three days, you know, just me and these two children as a single father experience, but one of them decided to get sick. So, you know, normally when I watch my kids, my main objective is survival. Not for me, for my kids. Like, just get them through it alive. That's a win. That's all I got to do. But now they're sick, and it's like, now I have to nurse them back to health. Like, what do I do? And so it's like a whole above and beyond thing. And the last time I was left with the kids was actually a year ago, Uh, In November, on Thanksgiving Day, my wife Hannah woke up and she tested positive for COVID on Thanksgiving Day, which is just a tragedy. She's a foodie, and so it was a heartbreaking experience. Went up to our room for five days in quarantine there. Like, she just stood up there and was like, all right, I'll take care of the kids who were three and one at that point. You go and try to get, you know, better and stay away from us. And like five days in, long, dark five days in. I woke up on uh, that day, and I felt a little sick. I had a little kind of some body aches, and I was like, Lord, please. Like, uh, is this all for naught? Like, have we, have we just done this whole thing for no reason? And so I put the kids down for a nap. I go, and I got tested for, for COVID. And as the nurse came out to tell me I was positive, I audibly said, thank God. And I had to explain to her why, because my wife had been gone for five days, and now we get to switch out. So she was like, oh, I get it now. So every time I'm by myself with children, I just am reminded that moms are superheroes and that you guys deserve the world. So thank you for being incredible. My wife, you deserve more than me, but I'm sorry. So anyway, but we're not talking here about parenting or my shortcomings as a father. We're here to talk about Jesus, people. We're here to talk about this series that we started three weeks ago, trying to figure out how to live this life as Jesus followers. We're talking through this series premise to come to the full realization of what it means to be followers of Jesus who live on mission for Jesus. Like the mumper said, we're trying to figure out how do we walk around this life as Jesus people, like with Jesus, with us, changing us, leading us. Is that happening? How does that happen? We're trying to figure out what that looks like. This journey actually started a year ago back in October where we started as a church to walk through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the famous passage of the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus. We got to know this guy named Jesus, and we decided we like this guy named Jesus. We like what he's teaching. We like what he has to offer. We want to follow him. And then in chapter 8 of Matthew, we spent six weeks learning, wait a second, this guy not only can teach, but he can do the miraculous. He has supernatural power. So we definitely want to get behind this guy. So we're moving with him. We're growing in our faith with him. And now we're coming to chapters 9, 10, 11, where we're going to be learning nine spiritual realizations of what it looks like to kind of live this thing out day to day, to be Jesus people. And today's big idea, our spiritual realization number three, is that our eyes are meant to see Jesus and our mouth is meant to talk about him. 
That's a big idea for us today. Our eyes are meant to see him and our mouths are meant to talk about him. What does it mean to see Jesus and what does it mean to talk about him? Why is that important? That's going to be what we are tackling today. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 9. We're going to be in verses 27 through 34. Jesus is just coming out of a situation where he healed the, the woman of the issue of blood for 12 years. She was struggling with that issue. And then he also had, at the same time, a little girl who's 12 years old who passed away, and he brought her back from the dead. So he knocked those things out, both kind of back to the back. And now he's walking out of that situation, right into another one, because people always need Jesus. But before we read it today, would you bow your heads with us as we ask God to help us today? Just as you're sitting there in your seat, Two things I want you to ask God to do. Ask him to help you focus in on this moment. I don't know all the things going on in your life right now, what you just walked out of, what you're about to walk into. I don't know the things you could be worrying about or stressing about. I don't know what relationships are kind of struggling right now. I don't know your job situation, but but he does. And there's a lot of things to be distracted by right now, a lot of things to think about. Just ask God to remove those right now from your heart. Help to ask him to focus right now. And then ask him to speak to you. Ask him to speak specifically to you today. What is it that you need to hear from God? What's your spiritual next step? What's the word that you've been waiting for? What is it that he has for you today? I believe everyone has something from God's word. He tells us it does not come back void. So ask him, Lord, what do you have for me today? Open up my eyes and ears to see and hear what you have. Father, we need you. We need you to understand your word and to hear your voice. I pray you would speak to us clearly today. I pray you speak clearly through me. We thank you for the word today that we have truth. I pray that you would help us to live this life as Jesus people, that we leave today knowing a little bit more of what that looks like and what it takes to do. So Father, we love you. We need you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 9, verse 27 through 34, let's read it. As Jesus went on from there, where he just came from with the woman of issue blood and the young girl, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Verse 34, but the Pharisee says, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So from, from this text, we're going to be talking about our big idea today. But before we get there, we always like to do a little series recap of the things that we've covered. What are the other spiritual realizations we've talked about? In the first week, two weeks ago, Pastor Christian taught us our greatest need and our greatest purpose are spiritual. Everyone in this room at one point in time eventually will stand before God. And the only way that we can do that is through Jesus. It's going to be only possible through him that we would have our sins forgiven, be blameless and righteous before God to stand before him one day. Like we need Jesus to do that, and that is our greatest need. But then our purpose is very similar to it. Our purpose is to help people meet Jesus so that they themselves can stand before God because it's not an if, it's a when. That's what we learned our first week. Last week, Pastor Christian taught us our greatest priority is time with Jesus. As Jesus people, 
we should spend time with Jesus. That's a normal thing to do. Daily and weekly, we should have environments and rhythms that we are intentionally spending time with Jesus, that we can have contact with him, that we can see life through his perspective, the hope he gives us that the world can't, to press in and live by his promises given to us in his word. And like I already told you, our our third realization is that our eyes are meant to see Jesus and our mouth is meant to talk about him. So the way we're going to talk about this big idea today is I'm going to break it up in two main points. And the first one is this. We have been given spiritual sight. We've been given spiritual sight. If you're a follower of Jesus today, just like my story, your story is that you were blind and now you see. That is a reality for us today, that before we came to know Jesus, we lived in darkness. We didn't know the truth, and but the light of the gospel shone in our life. Jesus came in. He opened up their eyes, and now we responded, and now we can see and move and live and walk. We know what truth is. That is the story of our journey as followers of Jesus. This passage is talking about a, a physical blindness that's going to be healed, but there's some spiritual lessons here about spiritual sight that we really should learn and take from as Jesus people. In fact, I would say that this passage is a lot more about what these men believed than what Jesus did for them. I think they had clearer vision spiritually than people do today, even though they were physically blind. What do you mean by that? I think they were given spiritual sight before they were given physical sight. Look at verses 27 through 29. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he said to them, he he answered them that according to your faith, let it be done to you. So if you look at this little paragraph of scripture, what we see is that these men, their spiritual sight, I think is shown because of how they express their faith. In two ways, they express faith in the ways that us as Jesus people should express our faith. And the first way is this, they had faith in who Jesus was. They cried out to him. They said, have mercy on us, son of David. Now that title right there is a messianic title. Messianic meaning all of history for the Jewish people, the people of God, they believed that God was going to send a Messiah, a savior who's going to save them. Like every single promise of God, every message handed down in scripture, talking about this Messiah, someone who's going to come from the line of King David, who is going to be that savior. So when they cry out to him, what it's really saying is they're believing him to be who he said he was. They, they're saying, we think you're the guy. We believe it. We need you to help us. Have mercy on us. Now, what's interesting is this is, pretty much, this is a, a, high, a heavy tension point in Jesus' ministry. As weird as it sounds, Jesus' ministry was incredibly disappointing to people. Christian, what do you mean by that? Let me explain before you get up and leave. Jesus' ministry was disappointing because his entire ministry revolved around who he was. Like, there was expectations of what the Messiah would be and look like that Jesus did not meet. And they wrestled with that. For instance, you came today hoping to hear Pastor Christian preach. You heard a Pastor Christian was preaching today. Then you saw me. And you thought, hold on. Where is the real Pastor Christian? You had expectations. They probably weren't met. Right? Like, you had an idea of what Pastor Christian looked like. You got Pastor Christian, but it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. In the same way, the Jewish people had an idea of what this Messiah was going to look like. A guy who was going to come in power. Like he was going to be riding on horses and chariots, ready to conquer the Roman Empire and restore the kingdom of God and restore peace to the world. That's what they were waiting for. Instead, they got this guy named Jesus, who came from a little town in Bethlehem, who is a carpenter, who rides into towns on donkeys, who would eventually end his journey on a cross. Everything about Jesus was backwards to them. 
And so it wasn't even that they didn't want to believe that Jesus was the guy. They couldn't believe he was the guy. Like, this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for? No chance. There's no chance that that's true. They were disappointed. The blind men believed he was who he said he was. And even today, who Jesus is has massive implications in our lives. Just modern day. We may not be wondering if he's really the Messiah, but there's a lot of people trying to figure out who Jesus is and isn't. Was he really this guy who taught these things? Was he really the son of God? And determining that question decides a lot for us. Listen to how the the Christian thinker and writer C.S. Lewis puts it in his book, Mere Christianity, talking about this very thing. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let, let, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, Sluice is this old, I mean, he's passed away now, but he's this old British guy. So you can just hear the oomph behind him in this quote of, he's like, let's not, let's not dice words here. Jesus was not hiding who he was. The categories of where he could fall are pretty few, but they mean a lot. And who you think Jesus is, who you say Jesus is, will change everything in your life. Jesus eventually would have the disciples answer this question. Remember, last week, Pastor Christian talked about the difference between the Pharisees and the disciples was how they saw Jesus. The Pharisees missed him. The disciples saw who he was. And because of that, it framed up everything differently. Look how Jesus has this conversation with the disciples in Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Hey, what are people saying about me? Like, who do they think I am? What's going around? What's circulating? What's the gossip? Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. So everyone thinks he's a good guy. Everyone's on board with this guy being godly. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's a reincarnation of an older prophet. But none of them are saying he's the Savior. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, son, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father who is in heaven. This is what Jesus was trying to teach his people. The point for us today of what we've seen is this. We have been given sight to see who Jesus is. He told them, he said, listen, you didn't just see who I was being the Messiah because you had deductive reasoning. They weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. Like they weren't the most brilliant people that were following Jesus. They missed a lot of things and made a lot of mistakes. And I'm encouraged by that every single day when I read the gospels. But it's revealed to them, not by their own mind, but by God. Like having spiritual sight to see who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, he is the savior, he is king, is a gift. We didn't come to that conclusion just on our own. We came to that conclusion because the Father led us. We've been given sight to see who Jesus is. The question I want you guys to wrestle with today is the same one Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? If Jesus was asked that question, how would you answer it? There's a few different ways people answered that in the Gospels. The Pharisees believed he was a demon. 
Verse 34, they say he casts out demons because he's the prince of demons. They believed he was a demon. Maybe you're like his family. Before Jesus went to the cross and died and was resurrected, get this, his family told the crowd of people that were all riled up by what he was saying. They were saying, we're so sorry. He is out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. Jesus is insane. Or maybe you're like the disciples and you believe he's Lord. You believe he's the Messiah. He is who he said he was. Whatever you answer that question with, there's another question that follows. How have you responded to who he is in your life? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus today and you would say, oh, he's, he's, my, he's the Lord and Savior of my life. He leads me. He's my king. The question is, does your life reflect that? Does he actually have that role in your life? Do you see who Jesus is? You've been given sight to see him. And knowing who Jesus is, seeing this is not just important because it helps us know him truly, but also it helps us understand the world and everything that exists. What do you mean by that? Let me show you what I mean by that, by one of the best passages in scripture talking about Jesus. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. I love this passage. I don't have tattoos, but if I got a tattoo, I'd probably get a tattoo of this verse. Not the whole thing, but the reference. Either way, look at what Paul writes to the church of Colossae when he's talking about who Jesus is. Listen to how he puts it. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and get this, for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That is who Jesus is. All of that and more. He's not just some good teacher. He's not a guy who just does a ton of miracles. He's literally holding everything together. He's the image of God. All of God dwelling within him. And probably the most important point that we learn from this passage is this. One of the greatest things we can see is that this life is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Paul wrote about it. Every single thing created was created through him, but also for him. Whatever you see or touch or hear or smell, you and me created by him and for him. Which means every single person in this room, whether you follow Jesus or not, the only place you're going to find your home is in Jesus. The only place you're going to find your soul satisfied will be in Jesus. The way you're going to find your purpose is going to be in Jesus. All your questions are going to be answered in him because you were made for him. Like he's the point. Jesus is the point of this life. He's the goal. There's times when I've been discontent with where I'm at, what I have, what I'm doing with my life. And sometimes God just has to humble me and remind me, you have everything. You have Jesus. This whole thing is about him. That's it. And we've been given spiritual sight to see this. 
This shapes up how we see everything, not just ourselves, not just him, but the whole world. The blind man had spiritual sight to see that he was the Messiah, that he was who he said he was. They had faith in that. But secondly, they had faith in what Jesus could do. Jesus asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yeah, we do. And he said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. A couple questions here. Why would Jesus ask that question? Why would he say, do you believe I'm able to do this? And then why would he say it's according to their faith that the miracle is done? What does he mean by that? I think if you look through the Gospels, what you find is that what this is pointing to is that Jesus wants us to trust him. He wants us to have faith that he can do the impossible because he says he can and that he will. In fact, there's two areas in scripture that Jesus marvels at something. Both faith-related. In a good way, a couple months ago, we learned about the faith of the centurion. A guy who had a legion of men following him, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the road and he says, I need you to help my servant. He's going to die. I need you to heal him. And Jesus says, okay, fine. You know, any other day, let's go do it. Let's go, let's go heal him. Take me to where he is. And, Jesus, and the centurion says, no, you don't need to do anything else. Just say the word. He'll be healed. And Jesus literally takes this moment with the centurion. He moves to his disciples and he just teaches a moment of like, I've never seen faith like this anywhere. He marvels at his faith. Unfortunately, the other place he marvels at is not faith, but unbelief. He goes back to his own hometown, doing his ministry, preaching the gospel, trying to do some miracles there, trying to prove his identity to them. But everyone knows this is, this is a little Jesus. I watched Jesus grow up here. I know his brothers and sisters. I know his parents. Like, you're going to tell me this guy's a savior of the world now? No, it's like they, they're offended at this. Look how Matthew describes this in Matthew 13. They took offense at him, his own hometown people. But Jesus says to him, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. Everywhere else, a godly man's going to go. He'll be heralded as this godly man looked upon with honor. Kind of like, wow, look at this man. But in his own hometown, his own home family, it's like, this is little Jesus. We know this guy. Like, come on. But look at the result. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Now listen, I'm not saying Jesus is like Santa Claus and his sleigh is powered by our faith. Like it's not like that type of thing here, okay? But it's clear that Jesus wants people to believe in him, that he can and will do the impossible. In other parts of scripture, you would hear that it's impossible to please God without faith. It's a faith journey that we're on. The blind men did not see because didn't I'm sorry they didn't have faith because they saw they saw because they had faith their faith preceded the miracle happening they believed he could do it they cried out to him and Jesus did it and then they were able to see it wasn't the other way around like God did not do it and then they said oh I believe this guy they believed in him first and his ability to do it and then it happened this is deeply convicting to me I'm kind of the, the person that is optimists hate me because I say I'm a realist and they're like, that's just a, a pessimist in denial. I'm like, no, it's not. It's just, I'm real about things. So like in 21 days of prayer, Pastor Ryan had a devotional where he talked about the shield of faith. And he kind of said that I'm like Pastor Christian's hype man. Like when he wants to know if we think God's going to do something crazy, Ryan's like, he's going to blow the roof off this place. It's going to be incredible. I'm the guy you don't want to talk to because I would say, I don't like, I, I'm not sure if he will. Honestly, we should probably play it safe because what if he doesn't? You know, like, I'm the guy that's just real about it, whereas Ryan's like, I believe God's going to do the impossible. So in 21 Days of Prayer, the first morning we had in the beginning of the booklet that you're given, you have a section to write out your 21 Days of Prayer goals. 
What are you asking God to do? What are you praying for? What's the spiritual breakthrough you're looking for? And he challenges everyone to write that down and to begin praying for it and to track that through the three weeks that we prayed together. And I remember I was sitting over here and I was looking at that and I went, uh, I was like, I don't know if I want to write that down. I can pray for it still. But like to write it down, it's like, well, you know, what if it doesn't happen? And then I'm going to be disappointed. So maybe I'll just pray for what I am thinking, but I'm not going to actually like write it down because that way you kind of avoid any, you know, being let down. And then I examined myself and I thought, what is that rooted in? Definitely not faith. That's rooted in doubt. That's rooted in unbelief. That's me wanting to hedge my bet, thinking God's probably not going to answer this prayer request, so I'm not going to write it down because I don't want to, you know, ruin what we got going on here. Like, I'm okay with him not answering it. I would love him to, but it's like, I'm not going to hold him to it. Like, I'm doubtful of that. And that's what I wrestle with. Then, on the other hand, you have my wife, who is just better than me in almost every single way imaginable. And for her, her 21 days of prayer goal was to see 53 people make spiritual decisions to follow Jesus. You say, why 53? No reason, just the number God gave her. Like no logic, nothing like theme, not like some cool connection to scripture. Like I don't know if she had football in her mind. Like she just said 53. And so she just started praying for 53 people to make the decision to follow Jesus. And I didn't know this until after the fact. And I was like, why don't you tell me? But she, she wrote this down, praying for God to do it. You can imagine the shock. When the week later on Sunday, 48 people decided to follow Jesus. And then I was talking to the director in our student ministry, trying to figure out kind of like, what's the pulse on the ministry? Like, what's God doing? And she said, at least five students made first-time decisions to follow Jesus. And I thought, okay, let's do some math here. 48 plus 5, 53. I thought, do I tell her? <laughs> like, do I want her to be writing in this? And like, kind of, you know, that'd be so annoying, but. 53. And I, there has been more decisions since then, but it was just funny how God gave me that exact kind of combination. And I did tell her and we kind of rejoiced at it, you know, begrudgingly. But, you know, like we, we now want to pray big prayers. Like we want to have a faith that believes God can do the impossible. And I think that's the point for us as Jesus people today, that Jesus people pray big prayers. That's what we're supposed to do. That's a part of our life. To have big faith, to have a faith that believes God could do the unthinkable. Why? Because he's God. If anyone can, it's him. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want you to hear what some people would say. If you just have enough faith, God will answer your prayer. A lot of, I have to believe, well-meaning people teach that. Just have enough faith and it's going to happen. And I don't think that's what's being taught here. I don't think that's taught in the Bible. I don't think that's the point. The point is Jesus' people have big faith and pray big prayers, and we let God decide how he wants to answer them and what he wants to do because he knows best. That's the point, that we would err on the side of not caution but like audacious faith, that we would not be like the people James talks about in James 4. He says, you have not because you ask not. Like, that's me. Like, I'm that guy, you know? Like, I'm, like, frustrated at God. He's like, you haven't even asked me for it. I'm like, well, because I don't think you're going to answer me. You know, like, we don't want to be like those people. We want to be people that believe he can, he will, and to have big faith. I thought of it, the, the, this story of one of my, a newer spiritual mentor in my life. This past summer, we were connecting and getting to know each other a little bit, sharing life stories. And he's a guy who's been married to his wife for 17 years. 
He's not like young, but he's not old. And I'm not going to give a number because I'll offend everyone in this room. So you just got to hear me out. He's somewhere in there. Like he's somewhere where like you wouldn't normally have kids. Got it? So he's in that range. And he shares with me that him and his wife, you know, they discovered early on that they were not able to have children. And they had to walk through that journey, you know, and process through that. But they've come to a place of peace. Like they've accepted it. They're okay with it now. And I think, you know, God's blessed their marriage and they're incredible people. But he told me, he said, every now and then, though, I'll still ask God for a child. And I thought, really? I said, why? And he looked at me. He looked at me like I was the fool. And he said, because God's worthy of that request. He's worthy of me asking him to do something that the world says impossible. And God says, that's easy. Like if, it's, if he's so desired, oh, yeah, he could do that. He's worthy of that request. And, man, I just had to back up and think, like, man, I am. Like, I'm thinking of my prayers of, like, will God answer my prayers? He's thinking of, like, is my prayers honoring to God? Is it worthy of him even hearing these prayers? And that's the point here. It's not even so much about the, the outcome, but it's just the reality that we are people who are supposed to have a big faith, to pray big prayers. And my wife's now challenging us to do that more in our life, to believe in the supernatural, because that's the world we live in. And if you're someone like me that struggles in that world, hey, listen, together, let's start praying big prayers. Let's start having big faith. Let's start believing God can do the unthinkable and the impossible, because he can, and he just might. I think he'll do more than not if we do pray, rather if we don't pray. Let's just go with that and be excited about it. These men believe Jesus could do the unthinkable. They believed who he was. Now notice something really interesting. After Jesus heals them of, his, of their blindness, he immediately turns on them and says, don't say a peep. Sternly warns them, stay quiet about this. Don't say anything. Don't go talk about it. Of course, they disobey. And <laughs> they go and tell everyone about it, right? But he sternly tells them, shh, like keep it on the down low. In his ministry in Matthew alone, five times that's going to happen. He's going to do something miraculous. He's going to teach them something. He's going to reveal something to them. And then he'll bring them together and be like, don't let this get out. Keep it to yourselves. Why would he do that? Wouldn't you think that Jesus wants everyone to go and like hear about all the things he's done and doing? We think that. But back then, what many people believed is that Jesus had a specific mission. And it was not yet time for him to kind of be brought to a time of prominence. And he didn't want his ministry to be just filled with just doing miracles. Because it's not about the miracles. It's about the mission he had to restore our relationship with God. To save his people. That was what he was coming to do. Like back then, it was not time to be talking about all the things Jesus had done. Because he hadn't done yet the thing that he was set out to do to start the whole gospel movement, the church to go and share the gospel and see people come to know him as Lord and Savior. It had not yet started. Today, though, that is no longer true. Today, we are to tell everyone of what Jesus has done and what he is doing. Where we've been given spiritual sight to see who Jesus is and what he can do, the second point today is that we've been given reason to speak. We've been given reason to speak. Verses 32 and 33, while they're going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, a man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, we, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Like the crowd sees this man who had a demon, can't speak at all, demons cast out, and now he's talking, and they're blown away by it. Not even something for them, just seeing this guy who can now talk. And they're like, we've never seen anything like this at all. They're losing their minds about it. 
And I immediately, as I read these verses, thought of my daughter, Karis. She's four years old. And if you know her, you know her as to be a very expressive little child. I mean, she is just off. The, it's crazy. Now, she wasn't always like that. For the first year and a half that we had her, she's pretty stoic. I know, like, most babies are like that, but it felt personal. Like, she, she looked at us in a way that we felt like, have we offended her? Like, why is she so angry at us? And then eventually she hatched out of that. And man, now it's like, how do we get it back in? Like, what? whoa, you know, because she has just got these expressions that are just unbelievable. This is her a couple weeks ago when we got some donuts. This is exactly like what I'm talking about. And, and this isn't even like her final form. Like, this is like moderate, you know, like, but there's days like she's just over the top. But that's just how she is. Like, she is a person that gets so excited about the smallest things, the things that she does or eats or sees. She'll say things all the time. I'm like, I've never seen that. I've never done that before. I've never had that. What do you have? And, like, she's a foodie, so she always wants to eat what you're eating. Like, she is a person that wants to share experiences with other people, wants to tell you about them, wants you to know about them, wants you to be excited with her. And I was reading these verses about this crowd and these people who are amazed at what Jesus had done, and I was thinking about her, and I was like, man, that is how Jesus' people are supposed to act. We're supposed to be like those people blown away by what Jesus has done. Just like, couldn't believe it. And I wrestled this question, are we still amazed at what we've seen and are we talking about it? As followers of Jesus, are we still amazed at what he's done and what we've seen him to be? And are we even like speaking about it at all? I'm reading with uh, some staff men right now through the book of Acts and Proverbs. And this week we read through Acts 4 at one point. And in this situation where the disciples are being told to stop talking about Jesus, like they're being threatened, we're going to kill you. Stop talking about this, man. Stop spreading the gospel. And they reply, listen, we can't help but talk about the things we've seen and heard. That was the response. And I just had this question, can we say that about us? Can we say that we are like that, that we can't help but talk about the things Jesus has done in our lives? Like the mute guy had a demon. But it seems like there's a lot of Christians today that they don't need a demon not to talk about Jesus. They just don't talk about him. They talk about a lot of other things. Social media has proven just that. So what's the reason that we're not talking about him? I think it primarily goes back to that we've lost some motivation to. Maybe our heart has grown cold to the gospel itself, to what he's done in our life. The Bible is not unfamiliar with this. It would tell and write about people all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Psalms. God would be begging his people constantly to remember, to look backwards at his faithfulness, to remember where they came from, what he did. Don't forget about Egypt. Don't forget about how I provide for you. Don't forget who I am to you. Tell your children of that. Pass it on don't forget. Because looking back at God's faithfulness helps us to be faithful in the present and to trust him in the future. Once we forget, that's when things go crazy. And if you read the book, man, they always forget and they always go off. God being good brings them back, but he always tells them, don't forget. Because remembering what he's done rejuvenates something, brings something back. A couple weeks ago, I thought about how Pastor Christian talked about Matthew inserting his story into the narrative. After about seven miraculous things that Jesus has done, he has this moment where he talks about Matthew's calling to follow Jesus and then three more miracles. And he argued that that's one of the miracles Matthew's including, his own salvation. Like, he saved me. Can you believe it? Right in this story, and then like, here's a good point to put in, the greatest moment of my life when he called me to follow him. I think if you asked Matthew today, 
what was the best moment of your life? He would say, when I met that man, Jesus, and he said, follow me. It changed everything. And I think that's actually really consistent with what Jesus would want his disciples to think and feel. Because in Luke 10, he has 72 with them at one point, and he's sending them out to do all sorts of different kinds of ministry, to cast out demons, to heal people, to share the gospel. They come back, and they are just losing their minds about what they've seen God do. People have been healed. People have been restored. People have now come to faith, and they're going crazy about it, and Jesus rejoices with them. But look what he says in Luke 10. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan's losing this battle. Jesus wants everyone to understand that. He's losing. He's falling currently. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus says there's a lot of awesome ministry that's going to be happening and is happening. And praise God that it's happening. Get excited about that. But don't rejoice over those things. Rejoice primarily over the reality that your names are written in heaven, that you're saved. Here's the point for us today. There will never be a greater miracle than the miracle of your salvation. There's not going to be another greater miracle than that. Like he, he started out with his best and everything else is kind of extra. Remember week one, our greatest need is spiritual, to stand before God, to be reconciled to God. Jesus did that. He not only brought us back to relationship with him, but also gave us eternal life. Everything we would need, he has provided. If he did nothing else but save us, if he just kind of came in here, gave us salvation, and then he kind of went on vacation, we would be eternally indebted to him. But if you flip that around... If he did everything for us, answered every prayer we could ever ask him, but he never saved us, it wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, thank God he's so good that he does more. Like, it, he did the greatest thing he could do that's unbelievable, but then he's also, like, answering our prayers of when we are in need or in help when we're scared or anxious. Like, he's still that kind of God to be like, I'm going to meet your felt need even though this won't matter eventually. I've already done the greatest thing. I'm going to still be this because he's our father. That's how good he is. But I have found myself in the midst of our culture of wanting more and wanting the newest thing. Sometimes waiting for God to do something to top that. Like, God, I need something new. I know what you've done, but I need something new. My heart has gotten cold. You might be someone like me in that situation. You might be sitting here today you realize what he's done. You know it's incredible. But your heart is just not there. Like, it's not like the same thing when you first got saved and you couldn't, like, stop talking about Jesus. Like, you, you just felt like a new person. Now, like, life has happened. And you're like, I need something to come and kickstart this engine because it is, it's cold. When that happens to me, and it happens often, I go to the book of Psalms. And I pray along with David just this short prayer, Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Bear in mind, the guy who wrote this, his title in scripture, despite the mistakes he made, his title is a man after God's own heart. That man wrote these words. That at some moment even in his life, he needed to ask God, would you restore to me my joy? I need you to 
to ignite that flame again. Would you do that for me? If you're someone like me and you need that, I want to just tell you that's your first step. Just start praying this right here. And don't stop until he answers it. And I can tell you this, he will answer it. It may take a little bit, but he does. He will restore the joy of your salvation. Life is busy and things happen. But think about the last time that you sat down and you just thank God for saving you. Like nothing else outside of whatever going on in your life, but you're just thankful. Lord, thank you that my name is written in heaven. When's the last time you did that? See, the reason this is so important because if we don't get our motivation back, we're not going to be like those people. We're not going to be like my daughter who's going to be excited to tell people what we've seen and heard. And if that's the case, if we who have spiritual sight to see who Jesus truly is and what he's done, don't talk about him, who will? Who's going to talk about him if not Jesus' people? People are going to talk about him. They do talk about him. But who's going to share with the world who he is and what he's done? Who's going to be taking that message to them, the hope that we have in Jesus, if not Jesus' people? You ask, why do you think it's our job? fantastic question. Let me answer it with 2 Corinthians 5. This is a a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and in these little few verses what you're going to find the answer to is two things that every human being I think is seeking. What's my purpose and what's my identity? This passage answers both of them. Look what Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. If you are a follower of Jesus that is true for you today. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. That word ambassador is someone who represents a nation or a kingdom or even a ruler, when they would go somewhere, they would look at this ambassador and they would literally be seeing that nation or kingdom. That's what it was, it was kind of equal with. If someone saw me as an ambassador, I'd be representing whatever I came from. For us today as Christ ambassadors, when people see us, they should see Jesus. They should see the king. They should see the kingdom of God. God is making his appeal to the world through us. That's our purpose. That's our job. That's God's plan. And he doesn't have a plan B. We've been given this great and glorious privilege to take the greatest news ever, that God is not counting people's sins against them, but because of his son, Jesus, freely offered, we now can be restored to him, reconciled, stand before him, blameless and righteous. That's the news we get to share. It's not a burden. It's an honor. I want to close with this thought. If you've gone through our growth track process here at Journey, a four-step way to kind of know more about our church, kind of learn how you can partner with us, how you can serve, what we believe in. Week three, we talk about some leadership values. We think there's seven of these values that every volunteer staff member should embody. Not because it's like Journey specific, but because they're biblical. We think every Christian should embody these values. You should learn about them if you haven't heard them. I'll spoil the first two for you. The first one is becoming like Jesus. Probably the most important thing we can do is become more like him as Jesus people. But then the second one, I'd say is the second most important. And it's that people matter most. 
People matter most. You ask why. Because think of it this way. In a hundred years from now, in a thousand years from now, in 10,000 years from now, when we are well into eternity, if you can just go there, ask yourself what's ultimately going to matter. Let me tell you what won't matter. Won't be our jobs. Won't be the person we married. Won't be the kids we had. Won't be the friends that we had. Won't be the experiences we had. Won't be the money we accumulated, the possessions we had. Won't be the places we lived and things we did. None of that's going to matter at all. The only thing that's going to matter will be who does and who doesn't know Jesus. The only thing that's going to matter is people. And people will be there because Jesus' people took this message as ambassadors, the hope of the world, to others and said, this is for you. You can have this too. We've been given spiritual sight to see who Jesus is and what he can do. And we've been given plenty enough motivation to talk about it. And if we don't, no one else will. If not us, then who? Would you pray with me as we think about these things? A lot of stuff to think about. A lot of things talked about today. Two different groups of people I want to talk to. First, for the Christians. Do you need God to restore the joy of your salvation? Are you sitting there and you're hearing these things, you know they're true, you know they're good, but if you're just honest... Your heart is just not there. It's cold. Do you need to ask God, like David, restore the joy of my salvation? What is in your life that might be putting the flame out? Do you see Jesus for who he is and what he can do? Is he... Lord in your life? And if so, how does your life look? Does it line up with who you say he is? We're ambassadors given a message. God is making his appeal through us. Are you talking about him? Are you so amazed by what you've seen and heard that you're talking about Jesus? Are you like the crowd when the mute man spoke? Or my little girl, when she experiences anything, are you like that with Jesus? If you get excited about anything, is it him? If not, why? What is it there that's in the way? What is it that needs to be removed? What is it that you need to work through? What does that look like? Because if we don't get that right, you probably won't walk out the things God has called us to. We got to get our heart right. For those in this room that you wouldn't consider yourself Christians, I want you to know today and hear me clearly that God loves you. He loves you so much he sent his only son to the earth to die for you so that there could be a way that you would know him and walk with him and live with him forever. He made a way for you to come know the one person that you were made for. Everything that you created, everything that was created, made by and for Jesus, that includes you and me.
And I don't know what you're looking to to satisfy the, the yearnings of your soul. I don't know where you've been, but I want you to know the answer is Jesus. Your home is with Jesus. If you're someone that wants to make a spiritual decision today, maybe even thinking about it for the last couple of weeks, but you just have not yet taken that step, you can start today. All you have to do is sit in there in your seat from your heart to heaven, just praying this in your own heart, not out loud. Something like this, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt. Lead me into my future. God, I surrender my life to you and your purposes. I ask for your salvation. The salvation we're talking about today. And God, I commit to follow you. If you prayed that prayer with me, I'm going to have some instructions for you in just a moment. But don't leave today without doing what God is speaking to you. If you hear his voice, do not ignore it, but follow it. We've been given spiritual sight. We can see who Jesus truly is, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the thing that is holding everything together, the point of this life, the goal, everything we could ever dream of and ask for, we can see him. And we can see that he can do the impossible. He is able. He is willing and he is wanting to. And all those things are true, leading us to talk about him. What is it that's getting in the way of that? What's it, what is it getting in the way of us as Jesus people living out the life that Jesus people live? What are the things that God's leading you to do? What's the thing that's on your heart that he's just pressing on you? What does that look like? How is he speaking to you? Do you see him? Father, we need you today. We need you today to be Jesus people. We need you today for sight. We need you today for our heart. God, no matter what happens in our life, eventually we're going to need you to come in over and over again to remind us of the joy of your salvation. Remind us of the glory of the gospel. Remind us of who Jesus is. God, would you do that for everyone in this room? For anyone in the venue, would you do that for us? Would you let us have a new heart today walking out of these doors that's not cold but on fire for Jesus? Will we go back to the beginning, to the thing that matters most? Will we cherish him and celebrate that our names are written in heaven? God, lead us today. Give us that shove that we need to walk out in faith the things you're calling us to. We love you, Lord. We need you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.